Hey there, Ruby fans. Welcome to another episode of Ruby Redux here on Rooster Team Radio. Tonight, we are doing our Volume 8 entire season recap, guys. We're going to be talking about the season as a whole. Um, and most importantly of all, we're going to be doing it with your help uh, because we got a bunch of you guys uh, to submit questions for our discussion topics for tonight. Um, so first and foremost, thank you to everybody who's submitted questions. Um, but yeah, before we really get the ball rolling, let me introduce our fantastic panel for tonight. Joining us is the wonderful Katie Cullen. Hi, all my buddies. The lovely Stacey Shuttleworth. Hello, hello. The internet's Mark Baydonica. I'm from the internet. So you are, good sir. And I'm Megan Salinas. Guys, let's not waste any time. Please step into our humble abode and let's talk about Volume 8 of Ruby. You can tell this is a different episode than usual because none of us were smart asses in our <laughs> intro. Turbo teen, turbo teen. <laughs> Here we go. And everyone's like, marks off the first and second turbo teen references in our bingo cards. Yeah, we have bingo cards for the episodes, you guys. You're welcome. <laughs> so first and foremost, how we all feeling tonight? <laughs> the season's over. How did we get here? <laughs> Megan, you sound like cruise director, Megan. <laughs> so how's everybody feeling tonight? Everybody go to the buffet? <laughs> Enjoy Lobster Thermidor? Make sure you have your drink tokens. You're going to need those for the bar. Now, the shuffleboard court is being repainted because that's what happens when you spill too many hard alcohol drinks on it. So that's not going to be available for a couple of days. It takes the varnish a little while to dry. But we do still have the volleyball court. And there is, of course, the pool. Make sure you leave your drinks by the edge. The lifeguard on duty is Chris. Say hi, Chris. Everybody say hi to Chris. He's happy to be here. I thought you said you had nothing, but you just wrote and performed an entire <laughs> bit over the course of that minute. I hope you didn't spend all of your to-be-spentness just now. Here's the thing. When I start exhausted, I go into loopy extremely quickly. So, yeah. Plus, at one point in my school career, I had to pretend to give a tour of a place, one of those geography projects. I did an airplane tour of Nepal and did the entire thing in full tour guide Barbie voice. <laughs> yeah. Guys, <laughs> there is no footage of that. It was seventh grade. What you're finding out here is that Fugue State Katie becomes an improv genius. <laughs> finding out? <laughs> They've been listening to the podcast. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, it. I'm not going to lie, Mark. It does occasionally... When being lead host, uh, I guess just in the style that I do, occasionally it does feel a little camp counselor which I feel like I should apologize because I feel like I'm stepping on your toes in that regard. No, no, no. If anything, I welcome it. It's the first I've heard of any sort of a similar thing in a very long time. Any of us <laughs> for that matter. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. Okay. So the volume is done. Um, it's been a hell of a ride. And yeah, I think... This 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 volume, I think it's fair to say, within the context of Ruby, I think it's fair to say that this volume was very much a game changer. Um, so before we we get to our, our list of all these fantastic questions, what how, what are our feelings on now that the entire volume is done? 
now that we know that the next volume for sure is going to hop into a completely different direction, how do we feel about volume eight as a whole, uh, especially in conjunction with um, the the previous volumes that came before it, mainly volume six, seven, and eight? But let's let's focus on volume eight as a whole. Overall thoughts. Let's start with Mark. When it comes to volume eight, this was. I've said it before on the show, this is a masterclass, but more in the sense of this is a summation of storytelling style and action style. And similar to how volume three was a jumping off point to what we thought would be the new version of the show. I think a lot of people agree that this is going to be a jumping off point for everything in the future. Um, I general thoughts is, is very difficult because like we had the the couple of season breaks for very important reasons and um grateful of course to all of the crewby that operated and worked on this show but for for goodness sake the the level of quality from episode to episode and just there were so so many iconic moments from episode to episode that going back and looking at like episodes, at least the before the first break, before the big season break and being like, Oh yeah, that was the season. Oh my God. It, I think that's a testament to what the show has been leading to up to this point and how much further it can go. This volume was nuts. And and I think I've said it before, but just in case, I will say it again. I cannot wait to see the feature cut of this one. Holy cow. Yeah, it's that is going to make for a fun watch party. Stacy, how about you? This season took a story that had been weaving its way together for volumes and volumes. And we had so many moments really finally coming to fruition and paying off in such wonderful and well-told ways that God, there were so many things that happened this season. Like just there's something in kind of every bit of the storytelling, there was advancement and there was payoff and just so beautifully woven together uh, I think there's just a part of my brain now dedicated to permanently maintaining a low, like, level, uh, <laughs> <to> <laughs> like, thinking about this this volume and what's to come from it. We've seen so many things, and, and yeah, like Mark said, this is a jumping off point. We've hit this pivot now. We've been building up to these moments, and now we've seen them. We've This is the kind of thing that we've kind of been waiting to happen moments that we didn't necessarily expect but we could see forming and now we're kind of in new territory uh we still have the larger strokes of the story to follow through with but in a lot of ways the character growth that's going to stem from everything that happened in this volume is going to be a whole new building up experience Yeah, it's it's certainly been a hell of a ride. Katie, how about you? This volume was nuts. This I really appreciate that in the volumes that came before it, we got so so much setup. In the previous volume, we got the setup for Atlas, we got the Aesops, we got Penny's Return, we got 
all of these things, we put all of these pieces into place. We set up all of these dominoes. And then at the end of that volume, we knocked one over and watched the rest of them start to fall. And this volume was just all dominoes. And then it revealed some dominoes that we didn't know were there. And then it knocked those down too. This volume was incredibly well put together. And I know I've said this before, and I know that I've said this probably once per episode for the entire latter half of this volume, but Kruby has been exceptionally good at taking the arcs of any given character, looking at the baseline of their character, their development so far, the situation around them, the specific events that are happening, and their mindset at the time, and being able to weave all of that together incredibly well to the point where we watch them and we go, oh yeah, no, that looks enti- that's entirely in character. Or yeah, it was about time for this person to have this arc, have this development level up. Or in the case of Ironwood, towards the end there, that coin flip as to whether or not he would stay the course or back down from all of this madness. And both options felt like they would be completely in character and would track perfectly with his development. That is a difficult thing to do for one character. Kruby's out here doing it for at least a dozen in terms of who had a developed character arc, who have we seen for more than one season, who like... Because, you know, we had some people who did not change this volume, and that's fine. But we had so many pieces in motion and so much development for so many characters that it was incredible to watch it all interwoven and to see how one sets off events and another sets off events and another. It was just, oh, it was beautiful to watch. It was very painful in some aspects because, oh my God, my emotions, you made me care and then you took it away. But it was incredibly well put together. And I agree with Mark in terms of, oh, wait, yeah, that was this volume. Like at some point during, I want to say it was our episode 12 or 13 discussion, like the Hound came up and I sat here and went, the Hound was this? Like, I know we killed the Hound this volume, but oh, no, we introduced him this volume. We named him. We came up with a name and everything. (laughs) And then we changed that name and then he died. That was this volume? He's like Jim and Randall. Didn't stick around for long, but lives in our nightmares forever. So this is a lot. And it's incredible. Very well done. Nothing was wasted. And that's hard to do. So yeah, well done, Kruby. I am emotionally compromised and I need more. <laughs> um, that's very much the, the sentiment I feel is not only do I feel like this entire volume was excellent payoff to the culmination of the, the the previous volumes that came before it. But I also just feel this incredible sense of gratitude that we got this volume at all, given the past year um, and just how, how difficult 2020 um, made the production cycle or really just, you know, everybody's lives. Um, so I'm just, I'm incredibly happy that we got it at all. And I'm incredibly happy that we got it to, um, the, the quality that we got it as well, because I don't know about you guys. I didn't notice a single dip in quality. And in fact, like, I kind of feel like the production values for Ruby are as good as they've ever been. Um, 
Yeah, because this volume looked spectacular as well. Um, the the fights were all really engaging and really really beautiful. Like the there were so many points where like the particle effects were absolutely brilliant. They're like all the character designs, um, you know, all the new ones included looked really good and really interesting. And yeah, just all in all, this vol this entire volume was really impressive. And I'm just so so glad that we got it and you guys know me i love my horror stuff and any volume where ruby dips its toes into the horror genre is is going to go down in my book as one of my favorites and this i i still really love volume six like i think volumes six seven and eight have all been my favorites of the show so far but i i it, it's a weird thing to say, like after every season for the past couple seasons, but I think this might be the best season of Ruby yet. Um, I, I don't know. It's it. I will have to go back and rewatch um, the last couple volumes and, and in quick succession to be like, no, well, let's see which one we think is the best. But like, I think Volume Eight might have it. <laughs> um, so again, just. All in all, well done, Kruby, and thank you, Kruby, for a fantastic volume. Um, and uh, just speaking of thanks, we want to also say thank you so, so much. We put out a call for questions on both our Discord, which you can join in the description below, and on Twitter, which you guys can follow us at the Rooster Team. And um, yeah, we got a lot of discussion questions that you guys want to hear us talk about. Um, so let's go ahead and get the ball rolling on all that. Our first question comes from Jade, aka at Drummergirl456, longtime friend of the show. We love you, Jade. <laughs> to everyone, do you have a favorite scene from this volume? And what kind of grim would you want to see appear next? Let's go ahead and start with Stacy. I have a couple of scenes that have really stuck with me from this volume. Um, I think the entire portion of the hound battle from the Schnee household, uh, that entire scene was just such an absolute like, great success in storytelling so far as like suspense and action and teamwork. Uh, and man, seeing the Schnee family kind of rise to the occasion was so gratifying. <laughs> So I adore that scene. Yeah, it was, that one was really excellent. How about, uh, what kind of grim would you like to see appear next? I like the idea of more grim uh, that are based off of feelings and emotions uh, other than just fear. Uh, still obsessed with the apathy. Um, <laughs> Same. However, I kind of, I kind of want like a giant balloon grim that you can just kind of pop and they just kind of <laughs> fly through the air, deflating. I feel like we deserve that humor in our life. <laughs> Slapstick grim. Oh, I do, love it. Do they go? <laughs> they would have to, right? Oh, like what about the creepy jellyfish grim? But you stick a needle in it and it just totally—it's and it completely forgive the word but it completely deflates any sort of uh drama that it would present because like oh it's just a balloon a balloon took down leo <laughs> oh no well we knew he was full of hot air uh yeah 
I feel like for the jellyfish, there's too much substance for them to be like the. They're more like. Okay. You know? I'm so glad we can have this conversation. This is a very serious conversation. The fact that this is our first question. Jade, thank you. We're serious journalists, serious reviewers. Yeah. And, I, and I would like to add that the, the tweet for the questions is currently sitting at 69 likes. So nice. 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 Don't anyone touch it. <laughs> Shut it down. Shut it down. <laughs> I'm going to delete uh, the Twitter just to be safe. <laughs> you don't have another choice. Cap. Posterity. Mark, how about you? Uh, favorite favorite scene from this volume and what kind of grim would you like to see next? So scene was hard because as Kitty and I have both mentioned, the frequency of that was this season is a little bit too high. But I think um, the first rainbow blast from Salem to Oscar is and and like Hazel's starting to be like, wait a minute, me beating up a kid isn't weird. Her beating up a kid is weird. Um <laughs> But also, um, Nora's stand on the bridge uh, that started her her character growth. Um, this the scene between her and and Ren. Um, I'm trying to. Uh, I'm just trying to remember. Oh, watching Cinder make the wrong decision against Rhodes. Um, mostly be, be to also because like, I don't know if if you. Uh, feel any sort of a connection with the voice because it's it's Christian Young who is also the voice of uh, Zero in Red versus Blue. But to to see him as an actor take that turn of like big baddie to good person and that that he I seems totally to be. Thought you were gonna say daddy. <laughs> no, I would never call Christian Young daddy unless it was to his face. But. Um, <laughs> Good man, good guy. So I hear. Um, but uh, that that sticks out to me. Of of here's this here's this person that helped Cinder become the person that she is in both the best and worst ways. And um, I mean, not only it being the button to the back, arguably the backstory episode that most of the fandom has been looking forward to, but um, that. I, I think that's an iconic Ruby moment. Um, other than that, I mean, the sheer shock of uh, James blasting Jacques away and just like dusting his shoulder off and being like, later. <laughs> Every, like everybody was just like, it was that easy. <laughs> we have to de- we have to deal with that now. That's so insane. Um, and in terms, uh, I like I could probably go on, so I'll cut off there. But in terms of type of grim, I'd want to see next. I, I I agree. Something maybe not necessarily comical, but maybe something something a new fodder. You know, like a new cool fodder that's sort of like the shadow heartless to the neo shadow sort of a thing. Like they're still the basic enemy, but they're just a little bit stronger. If that makes sense, the Beowulf versus the Alpha. I I would go even for like stay away from the wolves. <laughs> like <laughs> I, just in turn, I was just making the comparison for power level wise, but in terms of like, I I don't know if necessarily an animal style, but maybe um, oh no, I want a burger, but like of like a, a a quadrupedal powerhouse. I'll say that. How about you, Katie? Do you uh, favorite favorite moment, and what kind of grim do you have on your wish list? 
have a couple, I feel like we all have a couple of favorite moments here. Uh, top one is definitely Ren leveling up his semblance and proceeding to completely read the Aesops for filth. <laughs> just utterly destroy them in just the kindest way possible. But really just like, you feel this, you feel this, and you feel that. Like, I'm drunk on my own power and giving everyone the reality check they so sorely need. I love that scene. I love powers that have to do with six senses and empathy and whatnot and just him leveling up his emotion powers to visual empathy is just like yes this is perfect and this is well deserved for him at this point in time after he had all of those realizations and had that kind of come to jesus or i guess come to the brothers moment in i almost said in the desert (laughs) (laughs) in the tundra which is just the winter desert yeah that um i adored ironwood getting kicked in the face by emerald doing the right thing that entire little fight sequence of them just completely wrecking him was absolutely beautiful made me very happy um i had a third one and i can't think of it there were just so many i will say i do appreciate that jacques getting completely and utterly dusted by Ironwood's Greek fire cannon is, for one, I laughed because it was so sudden. I thought it was, like, my brain read it as comedy. And then it's like, oh, wait, shit, he's actually dead. Oh, my God. Fuck. And also him dying as a footnote to someone else's character arc is just chef kiss. Perfect way to send him out. Um, In terms of Grimm, we need a Kelpie. We need... A giant Clydesdale-style water horse that sticks to people and drags them under to drown them. And I know we're not going to get that in the desert, but I want it. I, yeah, there's there's a lot of good options here. Um... There's a lot of good options here in this volume. So, uh, I think if I had to pick a favorite, probably, I mean, Stacy already touched on it. The The reveal regarding the Hound was absolutely spectacular. And having that in conjunction with the virus affecting Penny, um, you got your horror on that front. You've got your, uh, you know, a robot being taken over by a virus. Like, you've got those two tropes going on at the same time and i i really love really love the the horrific elements within this volume so i really love that but because we already kind of talked about that i am gonna go with one that nobody's talked about yet and that would be chris sabbat's incredible monologue as watts as she's dangling him over the edge um it, it was it was an incredible performance first and fom- foremost, um, but it wasn't just his performance where where the whole scene just was completely knocked out of the park. the The editing and the dynamic camera angles that were going on at, at the same time, the cinematography, everything about that scene was absolutely spectacular and uh, like for for a scene that wasn't like action-packed it wasn't this big fight choreography and everything like that it had me on the edge of my seat and I think like years down the line 
it is probably the going to be the most memorable thing, at least for me, from this volume of Ruby. Like when I think back on volume eight, I'm going to be like, oh yeah, that was the one with the incredible monologue. Um, so yeah, I, I'm going to go with that. That that was a, such a huge highlight for me this season. Um, and uh, everybody involved in making that particular one from the directing to the you know the cinematography to the storyboarding uh acting everybody everybody involved in making that scene deserves a round of applause and a beer and i wish i could buy buy one for all of you it was amazing um as far as what kind of grim do i want um yeah just pull up a list of horror movie monsters and let's just start going through um since we are going to the desert Land shark would be fun. Um, I would love, I would adore a land shark grim. Um, that would be absolutely incredible. You know, there's like a terrible bee horror movie called Sand Sharks, right? Oh my God. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's free on Amazon, like many terrible bee horror movies. <laughs> um, but I mean, because I, I, when we think of, obviously, there are a lot of options when it comes to Grimm. And this is where it's, uh, you know, it's interesting because we do our own little sort of audio fiction podcast, um, fanficy podcast, where we've actually come up with one or two Grimm idea. Um, I think it would be really cool if something we came up with ended up in the world of Ruby, but... Um, like because that that's where my mind loved like oh i want to make up a grim what like what would i like to see it like my brain goes to oh well we already made that up and we already used it so it would be self-indulgent to say well i want to see this grim there's there's nothing wrong with being self-indulgent in that regard Uh, i mean they had the count they had the contest this season and if we had any sort of a like drawing uh megan you're the most talented drawing artist i would say out of all of us and with with all due respect compared to the art students that entered into that contest, we would have an oh, uphill no. battle. <laughs> I can do doodles and that's about it. Here's the do- thing. We're recording a podcast. This is the height of self-indulgence. <laughs> Go for it. If if that's true, that if if it if you will allow me the pass, I would love the Rat King Grim that oh, that God, we that so talked about. Um <laughs> On, on our episode of Welcome to Vale, like, I would love the Rat King Grimm to pop up in actual Ruby because I think visually speaking, it would be utterly terrifying. And Mark wrote that scene and it was just, mwah, it was amazing. We well, so came I'd up with the idea. Again, tag team. <laughs> um, so I would, I would just absolutely love to see how horrifying <laughs> um, and a, a grim amalgamation would be because we got a taste of it with the river of grim, but like those were uh, those were not an amalgamated being. That was just a bunch of grim in transit. I would love to see a grim amalgamation. Personally. Those were grim stuck on the four hundred five. That was <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Oh my god, that just made them even more horrifying. You brought the 405 into it. It's it's a circle. Like they like they cause the the negative emotions which powers them up, but that makes them more mad and then oh, you know what? OP. It's too OP. <laughs> the 405 grim. We'll have nightmares about this for weeks. <laughs> I remember the scene that I liked. What was it? It was specifically in the hound battle in the Schnee Manor 
for some reason, the thing that really stuck out to me, well, essentially it's all Willow Schnee MVP play of the game here, but specifically pushing the statue over on the hound to kill it. And just that hand being left when Grimm usually completely disappear. Just that whole little bit. I loved it. It was horrifying. I want it. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, we we tackled question number one. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, next question comes from Charles, a.k.a. at Titan Executor. Uh, out of everybody this season, who were you looking most forward to killing off? Also, is Atlas's technology basically gone forever, or does it still exist in the ruins? I think uh, Charles might have thought we were writers for Rooster Teeth <laughs> when we uh, asked for questions. But out of everybody who died in this volume, who were we most happy about? How about that? Um, let's go ahead and start with Katie. Are we all just going to say Jacques? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mark? Mm. Hold on. Give me a minute. Um, yeah. yeah. yeah didn't, even, didn't even get two notes into the Jeopardy theme there. Yeah. So I, I think I can speak for all of us when I say we were all very happy to see him get utterly pasted. Uh, yeah. And I doubt that Atlas's technology is gone because, for one, we there, there's something... They have global reach, for one. For another, we still have that nice little city whose name I've completely forgot, where Cordovan is. Basically, I don't think we're done. I think we've lost a large manufacturing and innovation sector, but that doesn't mean that there's no more Atlesian technology at all. Also, we've got file transfer possible and like archives and things like that. So... I think it's likely that there are some backups somewhere. And for for anybody who um, any any scientist or anybody who was working um, in tech in Atlas who got evacuated, you know they're still around. So um, you know their skills and expertise could be used uh, to uh, make you know or recreate certain bits of technology that we thought might have been lost. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think it's too big of an issue. Um, that's just my take on it. So let, yeah, okay, on that note, let's move on to the, the next question. Uh, this one's from Dakota, a.k.a. Strange Dak. What was the one character you were looking forward to seeing more of going into this volume? And what is the one character you believe wound up to be the MVP of this volume? Ooh, uh, let's go ahead and start with Mark on this one. I mean, I coined the phrase last episode, MV Schneeze, so I have to go along with that yeah. sort of a thing. In terms of looking forward to see, um, honestly, Whitley. I, I was interested to see how he was going to... Actually, Whitley and Willow. I, I was very interested in seeing how they would both factor in, both separately or together, and I'm happy with where they how they came out of it and the fact that for the most part, the Schnee family is still together. Um, and, and I'm still very interested in seeing Kali and, and Willow meet. Cause I think that is, that's got chibi written all over it. But in <laughs> terms of 
in terms of the actual MVP, Weiss. Like by the time it like Weiss got us up to Atlas with the the tube system, which gave us a funny scene. Um, there there's a lot of Weiss just going, yeah, I can do that, and her doing it, which is, I mean, following her trajectory from Volume One, Weiss is a clutch player, and and this season I think only did more to cement that. I yeah, I think that's a really good answer. Stacy, how about you? Yeah, my answer lines up real close to Mark's. <laughs> uh, I have been, you know, low-key obsessed with Whitley's character development since they really started delving into it. So that was very exciting to see kind of come to fruition. Um, but I think also Neo, Nora, and Ren were really high up on my list of characters that I wanted to see what was going on with them. Um, and Ren's character growth was super interesting to watch happen and very satisfying to see uh, how he was able to wield that new evolution. Um, as for the MP, MP, wow, high words, the MVP of the volume. Uh, yeah, the Schnee fam as a whole absolutely clutches this one. Um, and I don't feel too bad about my note that says even Jacques contributes by exploding. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it do be like that though. Uh, but like, come on, the whole family really stepped it up. I mean, he volume. was really bringing down the average, so you get rid of that, <laughs> right? It it was the best thing he could have possibly done for the family, and he he did it. Okay, he didn't have a choice in doing it, but we got there. Respect. Way to take one for the team, Jacques. laughed a little every time I read my stupid notes so <laughs> I'm with you. A plus explosion. Way to uh, blow. <laughs> but yeah, A plus explosion, A plus answer, Stacy. <laughs> Katie, how about you? Oh my god, all of mine have been taken. I think I have to throw another one in for MV Schnee. Just so good. So good. Like my runner up would still be Ren because using that brand new semblance upgrade to its best possible way. But honestly, just in terms of who did the most, who got the most done, just MVHD. And I do think that Willow and Winter stepping at the hill up in the latter half of the volume is what really clinches that. Like that's the entire Shnee family aside from exploding dad. Real good. Real good. And then, you know, there's that pile of ashes on the floor and we can, you know, subtract that from the total. It's fine. Yeah. Who was I looking forward to seeing? Hazel, honestly. It just, he had some interesting potential with his character, with us knowing that he cared about Emerald and Mercury. And yes, I do mean Emerald and Mercury and not two Mercuries or whatever <laughs> other combination might be possible there. But he didn't feel like he was on board for the apocalypse. He felt different from every other villain that we had. And so I would be interested to see where that went. And oh, it went places. And then it stopped abruptly. Because there's just something about dads exploding in this volume. 
But yeah, that was, uh, I got what I asked for, question mark. Um, if you had asked this question at the end of last volume, I think my answer would have been I was most looking forward to seeing how winter was going to develop because where we left her at the end of last volume, um, she was in pretty bad shape, uh, you know, given her fight with Cinder. And, um, you know, she lost the maiden powers and she, she, her loyalty was torn. Like she was staying loyal to Ironwood, but she was also willing to give her sister a head start, but also was unwavering to Ironwood. So at the end of last volume, I was like, how, how far is her loyalty going to be tested? And that was what I was really interested in seeing develop. However, if this question had been asked after the very first episode of this volume, um, my answer would also have been Cinder. Because from the get-go, the very first scene in this volume is that image of Cinder as a child scrubbing the floor. And I, I think it makes a lot of sense that this volume started and ended with Cinder. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that, I'm glad that this volume very much delivered on that, um, and that we finally got her backstory. Um, so I'm, I'm glad I got to see those two things. I'm glad I got to see what the breaking point was for Winter's loyalty to Ironwood. And I'm glad I got to see what's the deal with Cinder. We finally know, (laughs) um, after all these years, it, it feels good to finally know. And now we get to focus on what that means for her going forward. As far as the MVP for this volume, not to sound like a broken record, but yeah, MV, MV Schneez ha- like has to take it. Um, I think out of everybody, yeah, I was super impressed with Whitley, um, with how like we we all figured he would he would come around. I think we were all surprised at just how quickly he turned around, though, um, and um, with how how with just the absence of Jacques and with a little encouragement, how much he was actually able to contribute to the cause as a whole. Um, and yeah, I, yeah. So I have to, I have to give it to the Schneez as a whole. Um, but what with an, uh, a special, like, but Whitley gets a special star. I feel like, um, for, for going the extra mile. Star. <laughs> he does. <laughs> he did. He did so much. He got, he got Klein to look after Nora. He, he did so much during the episode of the hound where like just ba- as a baseline, just staying alive would have been an accomplishment. He really came through when I don't think any of us expected him to. So way to go, kid. Jacques was out of the house for like eight hours at that point, And Whitley already started stepping up and being a good human being. Like it is amazing what you can do when you remove the guy that's bringing down the curve. <laughs> Which is why he had to explode. <laughs> I'm glad, glad we're all in agreement on that. Um, okay. So moving on, uh, our next question comes from Malachroma. Uh, you know, long-term friend of the show, Malachroma asks, 
which non-death moment emotionally affected you the most, be it in a holy shit that's so cool moment or a holy shit my feels moment, and why? Let's go ahead and start with Katie. Do hugs always make you feel oh. this warm? <laughs> Top contender. That 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 is my jam. People experiencing good emotions for the first time. Friends affirming friends. Like, that. that is... Ah, Rooster Teeth did a whole lot of, hey, do you like this? Is this your thing? Do you really enjoy this sort of thing? Let me just sprinkle it all throughout the volume and then end it with a shit ton of death. But yeah, no, that that sort of thing is my jam. And the fact that we got that condensed with Penny being a real girl was just, oh, yes. Thank you. Mark, how about you? So that's, I mean, that's a top contender, but I would, I would have to put it as a tie between Ambrosius doing everything in the sense of, oh, there's, it's just happening. This is wow. And in the sense of, oh, that's so cool that we got Penny taken care of. Penny's a real girl and we're all escaping before the city comes crashing down. That was, that's like a wild, wow. Just just a big wow moment for me. Um, other than that, it would have to be Nora going Super Saiyan because that, that was metal as hell to the point where they made a clothing line after it. And uh, like seeing her scars and seeing how that affected her and how it will continue to affect her moving forward is something that I'm very interested in. That was That was a very, very much a get hype moment from before the season break. And, and I have a bunch, but Malachroma was very specific and said the most. So I broke it down to those two. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, again, fair. Stacy, how about you? When it comes to the Holy shit, that's so cool. Uh, it's really hard for me to beat Ironwood just getting kicked in the face after being <laughs> thoroughly tricked. Uh, just a plus incredible. Well done. Holy shit. That's so cool. Uh, now my my feels. Um, this this might be a little bit of a cheat because it definitely is like right before a death, but the way that Vine gently picks Harriet up Aww. and transfers her down into Elm's arms after Aww. explaining what's about to happen just gets me every time. Dude, that was the ne- that was one that I was like. That's technically a death moment, Man. so I'm not going to say it. But I'm ten hundred percent with you. Oh my god! Just the tenderness in that scene. Uh, yeah, no. Oh, yep. Uh, yep. I think for me, um, in the holy shit, that's so cool department. Um, I'm going to have to give it to the moment where the hound speaks for the first time, Ooh. where he just says no it's just it's so cool and um as you guys definitely know about me at this point right up my alley um it it made me oh so happy um and we've never had a a grim speak before so it was one of those moments where um when it happened your jaw kind of hits the floor and we're like oh man we're doing this (laughs) 
Um, so that was, that was, it was an indicator that something was very, very different and, um, it was good foreshadowing for the reveal later in the volume. So I really appreciated that as far as a holy shit, my feels moment. Um, there, I mean, there are a number of them, this volume, I'm going to go with, um, the two shippy moments, uh, <laughs> the two, I think most shippy moments of the volume. And that's going to be the moment where, uh, you know, team, team Ruby's reunited and Yang walks on over to Blake and, um, they just have that very intimate head touch moment. I, which I thought was super sweet. And then, um, you know, in the, in the following episode, uh, Ren and Nora have their heart to heart, you know, that they've been needing to have this entire volume. And, um, you know, it ends with uh with a with boop. It was just like aw, yay! <laughs> it was just it. Those were two very very nice, non devastating moments. I think um in a season filled with devastating moments. Um, all right. Next question. This one comes from Jacob at the TNT Raider. What do you think Salem would create with the staff? Ooh. Um uh, I think I started with Katie last time. So, uh, <laughs> okay, I'll start. <laughs> um hmm. Yeah, let me put you on the spot for once. <laughs> A catwalk. <laughs> she ended volume 7 with this absolutely on fire ensemble. Um Absolutely fantastic. Wonderful, like complete makeover. Loved it, loved it, loved it. She needs a catwalk to properly uh, just absolutely strut her stuff for any new awesome look that she wants. She needs a catwalk um, where the entire world can admire <laughs> how how awesome <laughs> she looks on a day-to-day basis. So that's going to be my pick. Katie, how about you? Will it have railings? No, Ambrose just made it very clear. He doesn't do that. Okay, 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 cool. Um, Honestly, knowing her, she will either create exactly what she needs in the moment for any given thing, or she won't make anything at all. Hmm, fair. Stacy, what do you think? Uh, I'm team she won't even bother using it. Uh, <laughs> mostly... <laughs> Mostly because I feel like everything that she would want to create has the goal and probably building components of destruction. So trying to negotiate that with Ambrosius would just be too much of a headache for her to deal with. And she's just like, look, I don't need it. I can make what I need. I just want it. She's just like, oh, I don't want to talk to him. Hard pass. <laughs> no, not, not dealing with that today. <laughs> I already have enough issues dealing with my subordinates. I don't, I don't need that headache. <laughs> Mark, how about you? I think it would be like, like you mentioned, Megan, something superficial, something to just sort of flaunt. Hey, I have the most power in the world and I'm using somebody that can create anything to make a necklace. And I'm going to change the necklace from uh, a, a Ruby to a Sapphire tomorrow, just because <laughs> I can do that. Like totally, totally wasting the idea of the power because in her mind, she's the most powerful being in the world. So why would she need this weird blue man to do it? What? And 
honestly, though, what I do hope we get, I don't think she's going to use it. I think it's going to be something that that Cinder uses because we don't. I, I would like to see the perspective change in the sense of anytime one of our heroes or I guess Cinder in that one scene uses a relic, everything stops, everything pauses. If our heroes are on the other side of that, I would like to see stuff get created instantaneously and and just completely throw our heroes for heroes for a loop and and that's something that i would like to see just in general can i can i add a a secondary option you can add whatever Uh, you want megan you're the best um i what if she asked him for a trebuchet (laughs) where she could just load a grim up onto the trebuchet and then launch it to grim zuka this grim empty yeet (laughs) <laughs> like where again it's not even that effective she just again wanted to use it to be like ha i've used it <laughs> i've used it to make this thing i want a grim with a mustache make it happen <laughs> can, can you not make that yourself yes but that's not the point now is no, it? no 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 <laughs> a fancy mustache <laughs> i of course i could make it myself but i want you to do it <laughs> i need inspiration <laughs> oh man i oh god so is ambrosia gonna ask her to diagram out what the fancy mustache would be yeah or precisely okay mm-hmm. all right cool 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 that's and it how is he pronounced do. mustache when it's it, fancy mustache mustache mustachio uh, <laughs> uh okay on uh all right let <laughs> moving on to the next question this one comes from friend of the show dan aka that kaito dan how do you guys feel about Hazel's arc, the choices he made, and his role in the arcs of Oscar and Emerald? And it does say Emerald, not Mercury. <laughs> Let's start with Stacy. I really enjoyed watching all the pieces of Hazel's arc kind of fall together. We were missing so much information about him when we first met him and through a lot of his early involvement So to kind of learn about his past and kind of see that he was at once a genuinely well-intentioned man who was just absolutely beaten down and broken by Salem. And to see how that led him to the wrong side and then to see kind of hope flicker back up. That's that's what we hope for with, with any of the characters that we get to know really well, right? We, lo- we love our redemption arcs. And we love to believe in the good in people. So seeing it with Hazel, uh, he made some bad choices. He's done some bad <laughs> things. <laughs> like, very, very broken. But to see him kind of work to undo that and to still have the ability to have hope reawakened in him and to be inspired to go on and do the right thing. Uh, It was nice. And it was nice to see him care for the children because they needed someone to care for them, especially Emerald. That girl needs good influences in her life. Absolutely really does here here katie what do you think of hazel's arc 
pretty much what's already been said. I love that we got the pieces filled in. I love that we did get the, oh yeah, no, he doesn't know that they're cruising for the apocalypse here. He just thinks that there's going to be a new world order that will somehow prevent what happened to his sister from happening to anyone else. As much as I love the theories that Salem was responsible for Greta's death, I don't think that's the case. Um, I think she just found a very broken man and took the opportunity to manipulate him and tell him what he wanted to hear. The opposite of therapy, basically. So I really liked seeing this. I liked that when we first met him, he we saw his ability to be friendly and to care about other people and his predilection for that. And then we saw what he was doing there and we saw the violence that he was capable of and that he believed was the right thing to do. So it was interesting to get the rest of his arc, to follow along with this character and to question like what decisions are he going is wow, words. Great. Thank you, Braid. And to question what decisions is he going to make? Like what's going to come of this? And as much as I would have loved to have seen him make it out the other side of the volume, I do think that him just seeing Jin's existence and seeing, okay, if if I was told the truth about this, then everything else is also probably the truth. Great. I'm convinced. Not even needing to ask her a question. Like, I appreciate that. I appreciate that quality. And as sad as I am that he's gone... That is the most baller way that someone can go out in this show. Just full stop. Yeah, he he went out like a boss. Uh, Mark, how about you? Thoughts on Hazel's arc? I think on top of that, he also proved against his point. Because even though Hazel, I'm sorry, even though Salem could regenerate, he completely eviscerated her. You know, like that that explosion between the two of their power completely destroyed their corporeal forms. So that sort of gave credence to, yes, she's all powerful. She does have a limit and we just need to break that seal and it's doable. Um, In terms of his arc, from the very beginning, the way that he carried himself and the way that we saw him converse with various people and, and after we heard his story. He seemed like a, like a, this is, this is a weird term to me and to say a reasonably sensible man with a very, very close mind. Like he just needs the key to unlock that brain and, and seeing this turn within him for so long, I feel like it for, at least for me, I would have liked to have him on the side of good a little bit longer, but in turn, like Grapple Dad will be Grapple Dad, and he will go into the history books as as this character, and 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 with this end and this arguably heroic end that bought everybody a fair amount of time to do some good. So I I liked it. I was a fan of it. The fact that we got him for four seasons, um, <laughs> I don't know if I've said this on the show, but. One of my favorite things to do before I moved, was it before or was it after? Either way, being stuck in traffic and when, uh, I think it was the end of volume five, when he sees Oscar and and just shouts, Ospin! at the top of his lungs. 
doing that in traffic is one of the most emotionally liberating things to do. <laughs> and I would highly, highly recommend everybody doing it. Like I, re- I still, rem- I don't necessarily remember the day, the blah, 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 but I remember the feeling after I let that go, after I let that loose and just like <sighs> taking a breath. And I felt way better. So for that for that reason, among many, I'm I'm never gonna forget Hazel as a character. And bringing this back around, was it on the four oh five? You know, it probably was more than likely. Man, actually, you know what? Maybe it was the five because because if it was right if it was before I moved, then I would have been in Burbank. But yeah, it reasonable reasonable question, and more than likely yes. So it, it, screw it, I'll say yes. It was the four oh five. Yeah, I was going for the bit because the 405 <laughs> is now the Grim Highway. <laughs> Boo. Uh, I, she's I, right, though. You brought it up earlier. Fair enough. Um, but on, on oh, geez, I, I had a joke, too, and I forgot. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm running on themes. This is great. For for me, I yeah, I have to I have to concur wholeheartedly. I really enjoyed Hazel's character arc. Um, you know, it's it's one of those ones where it's like, oh, we we've got the completion of a character arc. Um, and this is kind of exactly where we figured it was going to go. Um, uh, because he was introduced as a decent fellow. He might have been working for for Salem, but his willingness to help out and give advice, um. He seemed like a decent guy um, who seemed to be in this for very specific reasons. And when those reasons got revealed, um, I think it was awful seeing the lengths he was willing to go to in order to get that personal revenge. Um, It was not a good time (laughs) seeing him justify um, what he was willing to do uh, in his quest to get revenge on Ozpin. Like he, he like literally in, I think it was volume five. Yeah. Where he was like banging Nora's head (laughs) into the dirt and he's going like, look at what you're making me do. Ozpin. (laughs) Just like, okay, guy. Um, But, uh, but especially right after that, like when when the our team of villains have to come you know crawling back to Salem and admit defeat um he was willing to to try to protect the kids um by saying it was all his fault and all his responsibility and we like we almost saw him get killed by Salem in that moment um because she was just so mad um <laughs> about the situation and so ever since that point, we kind of, and we, we see Emerald, you know, questioning from that point on about whether or not they're, they're in the place where they should be. And uh, so ever, I think ever since then, we wanted Hazel to have his redemption arc and to, you know, adopt Emerald and Mercury and just kind of go off and be their fun uncle and, you know, show them. <laughs> and then all together, they could learn right from wrong and, you know, try to be better. And uh, then, you know, in this volume, when he is essentially torturing Oscar, I was just like, okay, yeah, no, there's no way they get to go on a fun road trip together. If this character is going to redeem himself, he's not going to make it out. And that's what we ended up getting. 
And um, I'm right there with you, Mark. I would have enjoyed it, him being on Team Good Guy a little bit longer. I will always lament that we didn't necessarily get that. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> I have to agree with Katie. He went out like a badass, and I really enjoyed that. And I, I think if he, him making that sacrifice, um, I think that was the final push Emerald really needed to switch sides. And I think once once they meet back up with Mercury, I think it's, I don't know if he'll just like wash his hands of this whole endeavor entirely and just be like, okay, peace. I'm out. I don't want to do this anymore. Or if she'll convince him um, to join the fight. I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what he does. Um, but yeah, I think Hazel was essential in um, Emerald's turn, uh, <laughs> Emerald's turn to the side of good. Um and I hope uh, I hope we get to see more from that. I, I know things are dire for all of our characters right now, and everybody's split up. But I I'm really looking forward to seeing ultimately where her journey goes. This next question comes from Austin Chu from at <laughs> a Chew is I sneezed. <laughs> Sorry, that's a really funny using username. Um, and Bardock 1991 at DX Bardock. After seeing his reaction to both his niece's apparent deaths, do you think this will push Crow to go back to his flask? Um, or do you think Robin will be there for him uh, enough to keep him sober? Uh, yeah. What do, we, what do we think is in the cards for Crow? Let's go ahead and start with Mark. I mean, we already know that the entirety of Volume 9 is going to be that car ride between the rest of the Aesops and Robin and... <laughs> And crow, so so we're. I feel like we're gonna see that. Um, but ultimately, I don't. I hope not. You know, like it was such a focus in season six. Was that the apathy season? Season six. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it was. It is such a focus, and overcoming that isn't. I don't think that's something that's easily. Um. I, I would like to hope that that's not something that they would rely on after dealing with it and and so i i i I guess my ultimate answer is i i hope he doesn't and she'll have to be and you know what robin can can help him realize some truths about himself with her semblance so whether at the very least he might be able to have some sort of emotional balance that could help him stay off the sauce yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Katie, what do you think? I'm with Mark. I'm really not looking forward to a one step forward, two steps back thing here, especially because it was such an emotional moment. Like, yeah, after a meeting Clover, after still having that bit with the badge and still carrying the memory with him, like, yeah, he's in for some hard times, but I really hope we're not here for a backslide. Like, I don't think that's an interesting place to go for the character. I don't think that's a productive place to go for the audience, for the story. Like, I feel like there are other things the show could do to push his story forward and that that's not it. Stacy, how about you? Yes, I agree with both Kitty and Mark. Uh, I think that we may get a little glimpse of a momentary struggle uh, because it is something to 
be addressed. It was such a huge part of his character, but the recovery was also such a main focal point, and he has come so far at this time. Uh, so I'm just going to keep repeating my mantra, Crow is strong, Crow will be okay, Crow is strong, Crow will be okay. <laughs> and I do think that between Robin and whether or not the Aesops stick around for a while, he does have a you know potential support system there to help him keep growing. Uh, and I'd like to think that Elm just looks at him when she thinks he's looking a little like like he's wavering and just goes, no. <laughs> and that stops anybody in their tracks. No. Bad. Stop it. <laughs> stop. Yeah. Marrow just steps in and goes, stop. Oh, wait, no. Does he say stop or he stay? Says stay? Stay. Stay. That's that's the joke. Yes, yes. Oh my gosh. Sorry, it's late. We're all <laughs> very, very tired. <laughs> um Yeah, I, I have to concur with everybody. Um Addiction narratives are difficult. Um, they're a difficult thing to portray maturely in media because, like, on the one hand, because it's a very real issue that people, like, genuinely struggle with and have to wrestle with, um, you don't want to be flippant about how you portray it. Um, so it's not like, oh, yeah, he just, like, we don't, you don't want to say, like, oh, it's just, it's super easy to overcome alcoholism it, uh, he just didn't feel like doing it anymore and it's over now so like I, I understand the the concern from audience members about whether he'll slip back into those bad habits um but at the same time I like yeah I don't necessarily know how productive that would be um to to show that backslide that being said because addiction is such a difficult thing to deal with in real life, I think it would be fair to show the temptation creeping back in. Um, but Crow is in a very different place now than he was um, when he hit his low point in volume six. Um, like he has a support group that wasn't there before. Um, he has more people he can count on and you know what the entire world knows the secret now um or the you know and like a lot of the stuff that like a lot of the burden that he was shouldering it's not really just his burden anymore um and yes he's potentially lost his nieces but ultimately, they don't really know what happened. I mean, to be fair, we don't really know what happened either. Um, so I think there's enough ambiguity in what's going on for him to maybe be tempted to slide back into those old ways, but ultimately be able to push forward and be like, you know what? No, um, we got to stick together. There's still more work to be done. And uh, if if there's any hope in saving my nieces, uh, you know, I'm not going to find that hope at the bottom of a bottle. At least that's, that's the, the way I hope we go about it. If that's a storyline we plan on visiting at some point, 
in the future, but that's that's just my take on it. I want to take a quick moment to talk to you folks about iTunes. I want to say thank you so, so much to everybody who's gone to iTunes to rate, subscribe, and leave a comment. We love hearing from you. And it is the best way to help make our podcast more searchable for people looking for Rooster Teeth-related content. So please, if you haven't already done so, head on over to iTunes, leave a comment. We love giving shout-outs to people who do so. We don't have any new ones this week. But also, as a reminder, if you happen to be in a store that isn't the U.S. iTunes store, please take a screen cap of it and tweet us uh, tweet it to us at the rooster team on Twitter because we don't have access to it we can't see it um, but again we wanted to say thank you speaking of our Twitter wanted to say thank you to everybody who submitted questions via Twitter and via our Discord, which you can join in the description below. Uh, so please go follow us if you're not already doing so. Um, and there are other ways you can support this podcast. We have a tea public where we have a ton of cool merch. Of uh, You can buy t-shirts of the silly things that we say. Um, we've got some new merch coming up soon. We don't have an exact date, but guys, we are super, super pumped for it. It's going to look so cool. Um, so keep an eye on that Tee Public store. They also do sales all the time. And we have a sponsor for this week's episode. As always, this podcast is sponsored by Fred He Bakes. He does cookies. And guys, cookies are so good right about now. Cookies are good at any time of year. But cookies are especially good when you are eating your feelings after a very specific volume of ruby has hurt them in both the best and worst possible ways. He does brown sugar buddies. They are his flagship cookie. It's like a cross between a molasses cookie and a spice cookie and a ginger snap. It is chewy. It is wonderful. You can pretend they're breakfast and dip them in your coffee. They are great. If you're missing those fall flavors like I am, you can do the maple brown sugar buddy, which is all the goodness of a brown sugar buddy with a twist of maple. And if you aren't really a spice cookie person, if you're more of a chocolate person, he has the big chip buddies. They are gigantic chocolate chip cookies that are stuffed with chocolate. They're huge. They're fluffy. They're a little bit harder to dip in your coffee, but that depends on the size of your mug and the amount of your determination. If you want to try a little bit of everything, he does mix and match sampler boxes so you can pick what you want to try and then order more of your favorites. Everything is made fresh to order in small batches, never frozen. You cannot find this in stores. You can only find them at his website, fredhebakes.com. That is three words, fredhebakes.com, and use coupon code THEROOSTERTEAM for 20% off your entire order. fredhebakes.com, coupon code THEROOSTERTEAM. Treat yourself. You deserve it. Thank you guys so, so much for all of the different ways that you support this podcast. You guys are the best. Um, okay, so moving on to the next question. This one is from Blake at underscore Raven Bronwyn underscore and Hopeful Cynic at Hopeful Cynic 925. What happened to Pietro Palladina and Maria Calavera? We haven't seen them since Volume 8, Chapter 5. That is a very good question. What do we think happened to Pietro and Maria? Let's start with Katie. They're chilling at Amity. <laughs> and we're going to pick them up before we do our road trip. Ta-da! Stacy, how about you? I am here wondering the same exact thing because, man, we got glimpses of almost everybody throughout the final couple of episodes, but we're kind of in the dark about them, and they're kind of in the dark about everyone, too. So 
yeah, when they pick them up, they're going to have a lot of very tough moments to navigate. Let's be real. Maria's whole thing is too OP, please nerf. So they had to kind of remove her from the latter half of the season so she didn't just, you know, hang Neo and Cinder out to dry herself. I mean, you are not wrong. (laughs) We did kind of have to sideline her because otherwise things would have ended very differently. I mean, we saw her fighting Neo and just not even breaking a sweat, which is something I need to see again in the future, please and thank you. But she's enough of a powerhouse that functionally we had to find a way to sideline her. And Amity going back down was, and and Penny not being able to pick them up, bring them home, etc. was the way to do that. So I do think that we are picking them back up for our road trip to Vacuo. Mark, how about you? I don't think our friends are picking them up. Uh, The only other people that I think are still around that know that they're there is Cinder. And I think if they know that Pietro has the possibility, not saying that he would, but has the possibility of making another penny. Uh, You know, we know the emotional and physical detriment that that would be on Pietro. So, but they don't necessarily know that. They just know that this is the scientist behind Penny. So I wonder if, I wonder if they go down early. I wonder if, even to the point where they're off screened, I wonder if we see Maria as another version of the Hound. Oh, wow. no! How dare you? Wow! I, and this is one of those things where I saw the red web, not sponsored, I saw the red uh, thread being like pulled from my brain into another thing. <laughs> Trust me, I don't want that. <laughs> but I can, I can also... I can see them being off screened. I can see us not hearing about them until uh, like Salem decides to take Maria for a personal project. And we all go, oh, please don't. And, And she pops back up. But it, oh God, like, so I wouldn't go there if the show didn't give us two instances of Penny saying, kill me. Like, what the hell? <laughs> so I would, I would chalk it up as a distinct possibility. Um, okay. I'm not, my, I'm not going that dark in my predictions, um, but you know, the last time we saw them, they were on Amity. Um, and we can assume that when they created uh, the one way ticket to vacuo, that that didn't necessarily include the Amity arena. Um, I feel like we would have gotten uh, a quick cut away to the Amity, like a door opening at Amity Arena, if that had been the case. Um, So there's no Atlas or Mantle for them to go back to, um, you know, if they had managed to hop into, you know, if they if they managed to to get their ship, like uh, they had a ship that they took there, right? Like they pretty sure. Yeah, um, but they they really, there's no Atlas to go back to. Um, there's no Mantle to go back to anymore. All of that's underwater. Um, but you know what we did get this season was Maria for a hot second piloting a little little mech in like an homage to aliens, which, you know, 
was a fantastic moment. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely wonderful. I think it would be really cool if while they're trying to figure out what to do, Maria's like, dang it, I have to make a phone call. <laughs> Not to a friend, but I have to make a phone call. And she calls up Cordova. And then the next time we see Maria on screen, she rolls up to save the day in Cordova's giant mech. I'm like, here for it. I would absolutely adore that. And she's like, I tried a different one last time. It didn't have the the firepower that I needed. So I'm borrowing this from an associate. (laughs) Yes. Uh, (laughs) All right. (laughs) Rematch. Rematch this time. Um, That's what I would like to see. As to whether or not I think that's what actually happened, uh, honestly, who's to say? Um, that's if if I could make a request, <laughs> that's very much what I would like to see. Um, okay, next question. This one comes from David Painter at DJ underscore paint. Was the hound always meant to set up something that may or may not happen for a later season? Whew, that is a good question. I... I feel like this probably is, it's meant to to plant the idea of what happened, you know, to Summer Rose in the audience's mind. Um, that's that's my take on it. I don't know. What do we think? Let's go ahead and start with Stacy. Hey, Mark, did you structure these questions in a particular way for any particular reason? Actually, no, nothing whatsoever. <laughs> oh, so this was just a huge coincidence, huh? This, I mean, the, the coincidence was also people thinking that we were Kruby, which we are 100% not. And I feel like this is one of the question. this is one of those questions where people are like, hey, Kruby, I got a question that you couldn't answer under normal circumstances, but you can answer my version of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so... Uh... Not dropping that Maria possible bombshell on us or anything. Uh, man, I, I think that the Hound here is just a huge tease as to, oh, this is what Salem can do. She's done this and she will do it again if she hasn't already. So we have things to be very, very scared about. I would concur. I think for as scary as Soylent was, he was also the appetizer. Mark, how about you? Fourth. (laughs) There have only been three so far. I am the fourth. There are only two so far. You're the third, Megan. I'm the third, the fourth, or fourth, and... (laughs) We're all real tired. Many of them, many much moosin. I... We were talking earlier about what kind of Grimm we'd like to see. And I mentioned that I'd love to see like a Rat King Grimm um, or really just amalgamation Grimm. Uh, What if, guys, guys, soft pitch here. What if eventually we get like a friggin' Dark Souls boss of a Grimm where it's it's just like an amalgamation of hounds or or humanoid grim um and they're it's all made up of silver-eyed people violation <laughs> by violation do you mean gold star i win do i win the podcast yes but on nice. the gold star has the word violation <laughs> it's the Musical. most confusing award you've ever received <laughs> 
almost a Justin McElroy bit. Michael Justelroo. <laughs> okay. Brian David Gilbert. <laughs> That's was what it? he was going for. Yeah. Oh. You were close, though. No, I really wasn't. <laughs> That's two completely different flavors of chaos. Well, they both worked for Polygon at one point. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'll, t- I'll take the six degrees of Kevin Bacon involved <laughs> in that. Um, but yeah, I... I like the idea. I mean, the hound is just horrifying in and of itself. I, and I think more than anything, it's meant to impress upon the audience, like the danger that Ruby Rose is in. You know, it's it all kind of ties back to the the source material of like, um, you know, Little Red Riding Hood. You know, it, it's it, the hound was the big bad wolf that. <laughs> had a person inside of it um, <laughs> um uh what megan, were the guys megan have? yes that's why oh my god what <laughs> that's why maria is going to be another version of the hound grandma what big eyes you have <laughs> you're were a genius you not thinking of it when you said that were you really not thinking I, of that? I was thinking more of summer but uh mark is absolutely right <laughs> Okay. No, Megan, you're the genius. He is, yes. <laughs> oh, we're all geniuses. <laughs> That's not correct. Ooh, boy. <laughs> or none of us are. One of those two. <laughs> but yes, uh, obviously, um, if the Hound... I don't think the Hound is just a one-and-done um, grim monster um, because it, it shows a longer game that that Salem has been playing with at um, because she's been at this game for quite some time. And, you know, regardless of what comes next, I I think it just kind of shows how far she's willing to go and just how cruel and messed up um, her methods are. Uh, So, yeah, I, I hope we get more stuff down the road. I hope we get, grim amalgamation i hope we get uh more more hound-esque grim in the future uh but we'll just have to wait and see can we call it amalgamation you know what i'll allow it that's great (laughs) that's that's pretty good i don't think you've ever given me a that's great for a pun before (laughs) (laughs) everybody gets one um i wasted it on that (laughs) All right, moving on. <laughs> moving on. That one. That was good. Thank you, Mark. Eli BS, a.k.a. at Halcyon Traveler. How do y'all think Salem's going to handle her current minion shortage? She's got Cinder, Tyrion, and real Mercury now, and that's it. Will we see new villains or something else? Uh, let's go ahead and start with Mark. I figure she has some sort of an install base in Vacuo, but other than that, I think she's going to stop relying on people and just start churning out more versions of the Hound. That's fair. Stacy. how about you? Yeah, I don't see her really actively recruiting around. I think she's like, eh, these are the ones that are left. We'll work with that until we, we lose them too. And then we'll figure it out. She's got herself. She's got more power. She's got Grim. Yeah, I don't see her recruiting many more people either. 
partially because how many characters do we have in the show already? Holy shit. Like we may meet an agent that she already has at work in vacuo that crazy uncle Tyrion and actual Mercury have set up, have set up rather. God damn it. I got hung up on actual Mercury and that was it. (laughs) We'll meet up with at the end of their road trip. There we go. That's the sentence, but I don't see her actively recruiting for her current apocalypse plan anymore especially since the ruby kind of outed all of that unless she shows up in vacuo and there's a fucking cult that's like yeah we heard the plan we think it's great let's go um i i think it's fair to assume that she might have other allies um you know in other parts of the kingdom i think that's a fair assumption you know again she's been at this game for a long time that being said, having, you know, ex- having lost Watts and, um, you know, having only Cinder and Tyrion and Mercury left um, in her little cadre, I feel, and especially with um, Hazel and Mercury's betrayal, sorry, <laughs> Hazel and Emerald's betrayal, damn it, um, I think there's, flip the counter. <laughs> I think to an extent, there's a little bit of, you know, Thanos at the end of Age of Ultron just kind of being like, ugh, fine, I'll do it myself. You know, a little bit being fed up. And I also don't think it's going to take too, too long for Cinder to get too big for her britches. Like, she just came off an amazing win. She leveled up in learning how to manipulate people better. Um she successfully lied to Salem. Like this was a huge win season for Sa- uh, for Cinder. So I don't think it's going to take her too long before she lets her ego get the better of her again. And Salem is going to have to shut that shit down. <laughs> I'm going to ask to risk one little bit of that. Cinder thinks she successfully lied to Salem. The jury is still out on whether or not Salem bought it, and I'm kind of on the, nah, I don't think she did side. That's fair. Um, But yeah, I I could definitely see her now being at the point of like, okay, no, we we roll up our sleeves and we do it ourselves. We get our hands dirty. Um, You know, I have other pawns and other peons and everything like that. But, you know, sometimes you just got to do it yourself. And I I think that's where Salem's getting to the point um, if she's not there already. So, okay, next question. This one comes from Equestron. At Equestron asks, how do you think the show would have been if Rose had just called child services and saved Cinder? (laughs) Oh boy. Um we had some choice words about Rhodes uh when we covered that particular episode. And yeah, we do think that um uh, unless our opinion has changed, I think we all were kind of on the same page of like why didn't this guy do more? Or like he could have done more. Why why did he leave her in this situation? Uh way to go way to drop the ball, Rhodes. <laughs> um, do we feel differently now that the season is at its end? Let's start with Katie. No, I don't feel differently now. Um, 
how the show would have been different had he actually stepped up and attempted to help the abused, I, I hesitate to say enslaved, but yeah, child there, um, we would have a different hench person in her place. We might not have Emerald and Mercury on board, we might have someone else, but her role would have been filled by someone else. Like, functionally, we would have been down one, possibly three very interesting characters, but a cinder salem would have found someone else to fill that role and it would have been pretty much the same stacy how about you i think that's a really good point looking at the kind of society that cultured this like possibility in the first place that cinder's situation could even exist uh and now seeing cinder's arc through the rest of the volume and kind of getting even deeper into her character honestly would Rhodes have calling like calling child services and getting her taken out of that situation, would that have been enough to completely sway the course of, of Cinder? Depending, I mean, I think it depends on what kind of foster care system they have in place. If Rhodes had cultivated a relationship with her, had become kind of her mentor at that point and just kind of passed her off into child services and left her. I think there are still feelings of resentment and abandonment and that power dynamic would still be completely askew. So I don't even know if that would help. That's a fair question. Mark, how about you? I think the second child services people showed up, they would have just been added to the body count. <laughs> like you think, so like in a similar thing of roads, like you think you can help me? No one can help me except for me. Like the second, the second Rhodes trained her, she was able to act upon the killer instinct that she had been developing ever since starting to quote work under her stepmother and stepsisters. Like she, she was on that road for a while. And so the only thing that it would have done is add more bodies to the pile, in my opinion. I think that's also fair. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe not necessarily child services. Um, because, again, I don't know what kind of support systems exist within the world of Ruby. But if he had successfully rescued her, I'll put it that way. If he had successfully rescued her from her situation and become her mentor. I, yeah, I, I would kind of have to agree with Katie. Um, I feel like Salem would have found somebody else to fill, to fill Cinder's slot in this show, essentially. Um, personality wise, that person might have been very different, but ultimately Salem would have found somebody else that she thought she could use um, and manipulate. Um, how that would have changed things, like the our first thought is, oh, maybe maybe this would have made change things for the better. Like maybe Pira would still be alive. Maybe the people who died this volume wouldn't have had to die. That's not necessarily true. Um, I mean, if anything things might have been even worse because even though Cinder's done a lot of terrible things to our team, she's also made some very critical mistakes um, that had, that cost her dearly. 
um, if if somebody else were in her place, it might have been somebody who was more willing to listen to directions. <laughs> it might have been somebody competent. Yeah, it might have been somebody who didn't lose to Ruby at the end of volume three, you know? It might have been somebody who didn't try to get petty revenge at the end of volume five. It might have been somebody who, um, after getting knocked down a peg earlier in this volume, didn't kill her coworkers, you know? (laughs) We, just because, granted, again, Cinder's life would have been very, very different um, had Rhodes successfully rescued her. But ultimately, Salem would have found somebody else to use, and it might have actually been even more beneficial for Salem's plans, um, having somebody who didn't let their ego constantly get in the way of accomplishing her goals. Uh, That being said, I would absolutely read or or watch uh, <laughs> um, the AU in which Cinder becomes a huntsman and actually like maybe ends up being a professor at one of the academies. Ew, <laughs> like, ew, ew. <laughs> what? You don't want to fix it, Fic? Or you don't want an alternate universe where like she's actually a decent person? Megan, I'm going to throw a concept back at your face that you just mentioned. Do you believe in destiny? Do you think she would have turned into a terrible person no matter what? I th- At the very least, I think she would just be a bad teacher. <laughs> <laughs> but wouldn't that be fun to watch too? Well, I mean, no? <sighs> no, like in the sense where Michael Scott is a bad boss and is only fun to watch half of the time. And then we, I don't want to see the, the Scott's Tots episode of Cinder's life. <laughs> no one should endure that. Some people are not cut out to teach. It requires a very specific skill set and a very specific mindset. The skill set can be taught, the mindset not necessarily. I do not think Cinder would be a good teacher. I think she would be a hell of a huntsman. I think she'd be very maverick and terrible at working in teams. But I, I would be here for the... Huntsman Cinder AU. I would be here for the she's at the fall of Beacon, but on the other side AU. Like, I would be here for that, but as a teacher? Dude, she's not even a good substitute teacher. She wouldn't even put a movie on. (laughs) I just. What would she do instead? Exactly. That's the question. (laughs) Oh my God. Katie, when you said I want like she could be there at the fall of Beacon, but on the other side of it, I got chills thinking of like the AU in which Cinder's a competent huntsman um, and we get to see the person who replaced her in Salem's plan and just her thinking, wow, that could have been me or who knows, (laughs) maybe even if Rhodes had successfully rescued her, I mean, years of living in this oppressive society anyway like she very much could have recognized that like the only reason i'm out of here is because of the kindness of one person the whole system still really messed up and needs to be destroyed like she still could have decided uh just on her own terms that like the whole huntsman system 
needed to be uh, eradicated. Like she still could have come to the same conclusion. I don't know. It it's a very interesting thought exercise going what could have been. Um and I would definitely be down for reading the fix <laughs> talk talking and exploring about what could have been. The world is a mess and I just need to rule it. <laughs> and then she runs into Salem shit. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, on, another question from Equestrian. Think we might get some Neo backstory next volume? Ooh. Let's start with Stacy on this one. Neo backstory? I am manifesting that it is inevitable and we have to. Because <laughs> yes, I think, I think that is where we're headed and I need it and I want it and please give it to me. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, Mark, how about you? I mean, I touched on this a little bit in the last episode. If you're new to the show, make sure to go back and listen to all of our recaps and our reviews. It may give you a little bit more of a look inside our madness. That's the word I'll use. Um, I think so. I think wherever we land will provide us an opportunity to understand how Neo communicates. And as a result, we'll be able to hear her story. I think that I feel like most likely, yes, we will get some. And I also think that the longer she's around in the show, the more they'll push it back. That said, I would be absolutely fine with Neo just remaining an enigma from start to finish. And I know that's terrible of me, but I feel like that would also be fitting. Where did she come from? Where did she go? Nobody knows. I feel like since we got um, questions about Cinder answered in this past volume, I think it's only fair that um, Emerald and Neo also get more backstory. I know we got a little bit for Emerald, um, but we really don't have a ton with her. I, I would love for both of them to have their backstories fully fleshed out. Um, yeah, I I also feel like if not this coming season, then at some point. Um, I, I hope it's this coming season, but who knows? This coming season might be such a big departure that we might not get any backstory. Um, it kind of depends on how how different this upcoming volume is going to be. Uh, okay, next question. This one is from Brandon Dodge. At Brandon Dodge 176 how do you feel about Winter's arc over the course of the series so far? And where do you see her character going in the future? Let's start with Mark. Big fan of Winter's arc. Um, her introduction of being sort of... La- lapdogs is not a... Subservient to... Very much a, a uh, person in the command of Ironwood and an underling. And, and somebody that I think we were presented at first to maybe sort of be at odds with about, but as we see her relationship with Weiss, as we see her relationship with the rest of her family and her dedication to duty, it's, we then can go back to volume three and, oh, I, I understand. I understand where winter's coming from when it comes like this. And I, I'm, she has been one of the non well she's been a focus but one of the non like name in the title characters that i think has had 
some of the most complete storytelling. And when you have uh, the voice actress and Elizabeth Maxwell behind that character too, it just adds even further to the Pantheon Um, in terms of where she's going. She has so much responsibility now, both as a maiden, both as the new de facto leader of Atlas, like kind of. So I think she's going to feel the like she was training for this moment, but nothing could possibly train her for this moment. Well said. Stacy. how about you? I think that with Winter, we were given such a solid foundation of a character uh, that, yeah, sometimes her ideals felt a little off kilter to us, especially contrasted to Team Ruby and especially Weiss's own character arc. But she was still very much very firmly rooted in her life, in her ideals, and to watch those as they transform and change and to see all of the external influences and internal growth that shifted and swayed her opinions and beliefs and the way that she looks at the world was really, really well done. Uh, The emotional depth of Winter over the past several volumes has kind of been surprising. I don't think I expected to be so interested in Winter's story, uh, especially with that very rigid military this is who she is introduction and who you were who she was expected to be and who you were expected to think of her as so yeah between the incredible writing for her arc the incredible voice acting uh she's been a delight to watch this arc go and i think she's very firmly on her next trajectory now um she's had a lot of a lot of change and growth and has absorbed all of the external influences. And I think that's always such an interesting thing to see when people don't just focus on themselves. So to see Winter become little bits and pieces of all of the people who influenced her, be it Weiss or Penny or even Ironwood, although the way she's morphed those behaviors into more positive virtues will hopefully continue as we go into the next arc. Winter has always been a layers like onions sort of character. And I think the first introduction we got to her was actually, I want to say it was volume two and Weiss using the comms tower to call her. I believe it was calling. No, I was wrong. I'm wrong. <laughs> she, she, that's when we, we first got the name dropped. Uh, gotcha. She used the comm towers and um, the person working there was like, oh, I can connect you with your sister if you want. And Weiss was like, no, not today. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yep. Yep. Brain. But that's the first mention we get of her. And we see even at just the prospect of her calling her family, Weiss, you know, preparing and rehearsing and then not wanting to talk to her sister. And that's our first impression of winter is through Weiss's reaction. And then when we meet her in person, she's this very straight up and down military person. And I love that we start peeling back the layers, the more that we see of her, even still in volume three, she's talking with Weiss and bonding with her about her summons and whatnot. We got the, um, we had the short in between where she, where it's a flashback where she was helping to train Weiss 
And then we got to see so much of her over these past two volumes. And it's, I always have this to say about military characters, especially as we see them in Ruby, especially knowing that members of Rooster Teeth, I'm not sure specifically if members of Kruby, but definitely employees of Rooster Teeth have military experience. And it's interesting to see military characters come from a creative team that has that experience. And understanding that in the military, they very much break you down and build you back up to be loyal and obedient to the military. And to get into that officer position, you either get fast-tracked or you're very, very good enlisted. And it's possible that Winter was fast-tracked a little because of the family name, but Seeing that she is this high-ranking officer and knowing that a good faction of that is competence, loyalty, ability, it's kind of the same lens that we looked at Clover through. He got to be the leader of the Aesops because, again, competence, ability, he was able to do his job and do it extremely well and also lead other people. And it takes a specific type of person to succeed that way in the military. So we have that aspect of things. We have the aspect of things where Weiss used joining the Elysian military as a way to get out from under her father's thumb and out of the Schnee household. So it was her way of fleeing an abusive situation. I just appreciate that we kept adding layers to this character, that we kept seeing more and more facets to this diamond that she wound up being. And even then we see, as you mentioned, her bond with Penny, her bond with her sister, with her family, with all of these other people that had come to influence her. And we get to the point of looking at Ironwood, looking at her superior officer, who she has pledged her loyalty to, who she's been the right-hand man for this guy for years, and going, is he making the right decisions? Am I making the right decisions in supporting him? And the fact that she got as far as she did by being competent and loyal and that so much is happening and there is enough going on for her to question that loyalty says a lot about the situation and a lot about her character that she is able to weigh her humanity and her morality in the same breath that she is her loyalty to the Atlesian military and to this person who should probably no longer be in charge once he starts threatening genocide. So I love that we got this development for her. And in the end, I would say, yeah, it is her stepping into a full-on leadership role. And we'll see how she does. But I think given the situation, I think she's going to do about as well as she can. I, I remember... Um being at RTX, uh, you know, after, uh, like before volume three aired, I remember being at my first RTX and they, they made the announcement that winter was going to be in the next season and that Elizabeth Maxwell was going to be doing the voice and, um, getting to see the the character design art. Like I remember when they made that announcement, I remember, um, gasping <laughs> like literally gasping because i was so excited um to see what uh this character was going to be like and what elizabeth was going to be bringing to the role i was so jazzed and after she got introduced i was not disappointed 
I really liked um, the way that she was presented to us, and I really liked the dynamic that was set up. I, I very much appreciated that as more time went on, we find that like she is in the position that she's in because she, much like Weiss, was trying to find her way to try to kind of set right a lot of the wrongs that her family had done, or, or specifically that the Schnee Dust Company had done. Um, she wanted to make amends for that in some way, shape, or form. And so she she joined the military and she, she became a huntress um, to try to do good in the world. And um, we see that really explored in this, in the, the, the whole Atlas trilogy. We, we see exploration of that. And I think it's also very interesting too, that if you go back to the beginning of volume five, the, the, the teaser that we got before that volume was Weiss, um, training with Winter. And Winter very pointedly said, uh, at the end of that little teaser, I'm not always going to be around to save you. Like, you're going to have to learn to fight for yourself. And that was something that Weiss had to had to struggle with in that particular volume, uh, you know, running away from home and then, um, you know, getting caught by bandits <laughs> and basically um, – having to to reunite with her friends before making their way over to Atlas before she could be reunited with her sister. Um, that was uh, definitely a journey for her. But I think it's very interesting that Winter made a point of saying, I'm not always going to be around to save you. And this volume ends with Winter being unable to save Weiss. Ooh, um, feels bad, man. <laughs> and having to carry that with her into the next volume. Like, <laughs> like it only just now hit me as we were talking about it. Um, sorry, Stacy, did you want to chime in? How dare you hurt us like this? <laughs> <laughs> I, I Don't blame me. I didn't write it. <laughs> but what if you did? I didn't, though. <laughs> but what if you did? <laughs> Uh, I mean, to be fair, I think some of our questioners on Twitter think we did, which is <laughs> high praise. Uh, I wish I could write uh, character arcs this interesting and deep. Um, but yeah, it like I don't think it's a coincidence that we had that as a very specific bit of dialogue. And now we had a, a very specific character beat of her failing to do that very thing um yeah she it, it was exactly right she isn't always going to be able to save weiss but it was not in the way that any of us expected it to be um so i think that's absolutely phenomenal um but yeah seeing her especially at the end of last volume two having to weigh her conscience and having to to measure um you know, her, what she thought was right and having to, to listen to her heart instead of her, uh, her sense of duty. Um, it, it, it's a very, it, it's been a very interesting struggle over the last few volumes. Um, and I think like Penny, Penny's journey very much influenced, 
the trajectory of Winter's journey as well. And seeing Ironwood's descent, I think, was also very pivotal into pushing Winter where she needed to go. And um, yeah, uh, also recognizing that um, Ironwood or Jacques, you know, no, no authority figure in her life is responsible for the course of her own destiny. The the thing that ultimately, you know, plotted her course was not her uh, a superior or or an authority figure. It was, as she puts it, a gift from a friend, and she wants to honor that gift, and that's going to be her motivation moving forward. And I again, I think just love being the key, <laughs> um, love and friendship being the key. Um, rather than honor and duty and doing, you know, what James did, which was, you know, killing his own heart in the process of doing what he thought was right. Um, you know, that's not it. You know, Penny, Penny was able to do the right thing because she listened to her heart. Winter was finally able to do the right thing when she started listening to her heart, um, and so on and so forth. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I guess like the, the main thing is going to be how they deal with this immediate loss and how she now has to adapt to being the figure in authority, um, as opposed to deferring to somebody else, um, and having to, to wrestle with, um, not only the loss of people around her, but also the the great gift of the power that she's been given. So there's there's a lot to that the writers can play around with. There's a lot of depth there. I think it is fair to say that eventually the maiden powers will go to our four main Ruby characters. Um what that says about winter, I I mean I don't want that to be true because we really love winter, but if that's going to be the culmination of her character arc, it's going to be a hell of a journey to get there. Um But yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Um but yeah, regardless of where she's going, I think it's going to continue to be fascinating and moving. And uh yeah, I can't wait for more. On that note, uh let's move on to the next question. Justin on Discord wrote Volume 8 made a substantial focus on time and showing how a series of events play out in clear fashion over several days, as opposed to vaguely defined weeks or months like in earlier seasons. Do you think this approach helped or hurt the season in any way with how events played out? And do you think this method should return in Volume 9, 10, etc.? Also... Who do you think had the best slash most interesting slash entertaining character arc across seven and eight? Let's go ahead and start with Katie. I think in terms of time, it's good for volumes to alternate. Like, I, I think we had in volume seven, we had a good chunk of time that was just montage. We did some huntsman work. We leveled up. We worked on Amity. We, you know, took care of business. I think this particular approach was very good for this season. I think it was good for the end of volume seven all the way through volume eight. It's, it's actually something that Attack on Titan is also really good at. 
you have some volumes where there are montages, time skips, you get to level up, you get to do some stuff off screen. And you have some volumes where you sit there and go, what do you mean the past 15 episodes have taken place over the span of eight hours? No one has slept? Are you serious? And I think that works really well for hitting home for the audience just how much can happen in the span of a day or two days, just how much something can change in that short an amount of time, and just how much every decision matters during those times. Because when we have the long, the uh, spread out seasons, when we have the seasons that take place over a longer amount of time, Sometimes it's a little easier to lose track of actions having consequences. Sometimes it's a little harder to keep the thread of, oh yeah, this thing happened here, so now months later, this is a thing that's occurring. But for seasons like this, where it's almost immediate action consequence, I think it works really well for what it was trying to do. I think it works extremely well for this is wartime, everything goes insane, split-second decisions, nobody gets time to rest. For what they were trying to do for the back end of Seven and for this volume, this approach worked incredibly well. I don't know if this same approach will work for the next volumes. It's going to depend entirely on what type of story they're trying to tell and how much they're trying to fit in. If we are getting a road trip, doing it in real time would be a chore. We've all done road trips. You can't not do things in real time in real life. And yeah, if we are doing a road trip, and especially if we are flashing back and forth to multiple locations, possibly multiple dimensions, as I think might be the case, who even knows, then the everything in real time, everything happens so quickly approach, I don't think will work as well. We'll have to see what sort of story they're trying to tell and how things play out. In terms of character arc, again, I'm just going to put down Ren and walk away. Just because that that level up for his semblance was chef kiss. That is the sort of thing I love and I am super biased. Stacy, how about you? I think the structure of this season served it extremely well to kind of portray the absolute severity of the stakes and the sense of urgency that we were working with, the kind of challenges that we were facing. And having to stop now and think about the season and just be like, oh my God, they faced all of those things in the span of almost no time at all just constant action after action after action things that they had to take in and deal with and it really puts a sense of gravity to what is happening around them how crucial the their decisions are and you know well, i can't words either <laughs> <laughs> it's late. We're all tired. This episode is happening in real time. <laughs> I'm not hitting a wall. Everything's fine. <laughs> I think that, so I think the pacing for this volume was exactly what it needed to be to impress upon us as viewers exactly how 
much they were dealing with and how important all of the issues that they were dealing with was and just how quickly things can change when something so devastating is looming above them. Now, I don't think that that's necessarily going to pick up, I think, or to pick up for the next volume. I, I think that this was a very specific need that the pacing was filling to tell this piece of the story. And as we move forward to tell more of the story, to branch out into these different dimensions, which I also think is the case here, <laughs> that we <laughs> will see the pacing change up a little bit uh, just to suit the storytelling. But I think for volume eight, that was the way the story demanded to be told. Um, and, you know, best character arc, I'm going to pick up Ren from where Katie set him down and hold him up because especially between seven <laughs> and eight, seeing the absolute shutdown then morph into genuine and meaningful character growth uh, was one of one of my favorite longer multi-volume arcs for a character thus far. Uh, and yeah, his, his semblance power-up is freaking cool. I'm sorry, when you said that, I just got this image of, like, holding him up on Pride Rock, like, at the beginning of the Lion King. <laughs> Good, because that's exactly what I was picturing when I said it. Fan art, yes! go! <laughs> it's Nora. Nora picks him up and holds <laughs> yes! him high above her head. I asked you, please, to stop doing that. <laughs> Never. No, no, I just, I just want to hear Sam Ireland <laughs> in Nora's voice. I want it. Oh. What we wouldn't give for Nora covering the Circle of Life. Uh, does Sam Ireland have a cameo? <laughs> you think I'm kidding? I'm not actually oh, kidding. <laughs> Mark, how about you? Uh, pacing and uh, character arc. All, all of the investments that we make from the wonderful and uh, anything that that we get from uh, people supporting us on T Public or anybody supporting us on Anchor is entirely going to booking a cameo of Sam Ireland singing. <laughs> the, this is what it's led to. This is this is what your tax deductible donation. Sorry, I just want to know. Um, it's. It's hard to cover more uh, than what everybody else mentioned about time structure. Um, I don't think we're going to get the same amount of time. Like I've said before, and you can go and listen back, that I feel like this next season is going to be a variety of different time frames. I feel like the time that we're going to see pass for one group isn't going to be the time that passes for another. I think we're in like a hyperbolic time chamber sort of a situation where uh, one group is going to experience time longer than, than another, but we won't know that until the very end. But I, in, in saying that, I feel like there's going to be a lot of discovery on this Island, whether that's like locational or personal. And, and that I think montage could, could do us some good, whether that's days, weeks, whatever, maybe if it's a, um, Oh God, what's the, the, the Steven Universe song where the, they're on the island and he's trying to serenade them. Like something like that. Where Why we're, I'd be wherever you are. Yeah, that one. 
that one. Thank you, Megan. <laughs> we'll we'll pay you for the cameo instead. But um, <laughs> but that's sort of that's sort of a thing where we're we might get a more ch- oh dude could we get like an island bop from the Williamses where <gasps> we see them like adapting to island life whatever that may be I'm super into that. Yes, 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 yes. That's yes, that's my new predi- time. Sure, whatever. Yes, but I want the Williamses to make an island, island time Jimmy Buffett style Bob. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I couldn't even keep a straight face with saying that. Um, that's what we need. It's legit. Um, the it's, first thing that came up to my mind was pencil thin mustache, which is one of the least island themed ones he has, and yet, uh, go for it. Cheeseburger in paradise. Cheeseburger in paradise. Uh, che- uh, I was mm, never mind. Like, there's there's that meme going around of of people amalgamating names and and foods. But I was like, how could we do cheeseburger? That's not. Let's not go down that avenue. <laughs> cheeseburger um, and Yggdrasil, I guess. I don't know. I was trying to think of a character name, but that works too. Um, I in terms of like the character arcs, Ren is a is a good choice. Um, Whitley. I, I think has been most interesting best probably winter entertaining um and and I'm not and I'm not just saying this to be that guy I think Penny's arc from from not having her to having her to not having her again the the ride that we went on in those arcs with her and after after losing her, knowing the level of loss and, and how deep that sorrow was and getting that second chance with this with this person and her still living her life to her design and her extension like she she lived her life how she wanted to, whether whether she was flesh and bone or nuts and bolts. And and that I think is something that will live on in the fandom and in the, in the entire medium for a while. Um, so I, it's, it's hard to say best character arc and not bring up Penny. I think that's very, very fair. Um, yeah, I have to concur when it comes to the, the pacing. Um, I, I feel like the pacing of this volume very much kept me on the edge of my seat the entire time. Um, I think it did a really good job maintaining the severity of the stakes. Um, Katie, you you beat me to it with the Attack on Titan comparison, um, uh, <laughs> for sure. Um, but the uh, something that I really appreciate about the pacing of this volume is that it very much ties into the reoccurring theme, both in this volume and in previous volumes, of the culmination of choices um and you know you're never going to know for sure if you've made the right choice um what's important isn't but like what what's important isn't necessarily lingering uh or or dwelling too heavily or or to the point where where it debilitates you from um making further choices you can't wallow in the the mistakes that you made, you should certainly try to learn from them, but you can't really wallow in them for too long. If it keeps you from continuing to try to make choices. Um, 
And I like that uh, because throughout the last couple volumes, Ruby's been having to make choices and never knowing if they're the right choices, you know, as any leader has to do. And then dealing with the consequences of those choices. Were they always the right choices? Who's to say? It, you know, kind of like when we were talking about, well, what if Rhodes had done this earlier? We really don't know how things would have turned out because ultimately it doesn't matter because he didn't. Um, in the same way where um, I know a lot of the fandom got really mad <laughs> Ruby for for concealing the truth from Ironwood and saying like oh maybe things wouldn't have turned out the way they did if they had just been honest with him from the get-go and it's like well we don't know that guys sure it's easy to say coulda woulda shoulda but we don't actually know what would have happened because that's not what happened so rather than saying well I should have done this I should have done this we have to just make the choices, make choices with the scenario that we have in front of us. That's just, that's all we can do is deal with things one step at a time. And I think that the pacing of this volume really tied into that reoccurring theme. Um, so I very much appreciated that. Um, I, be, I, that's a theme looking at Ruby that I really, really have enjoyed over the past few volumes. And so I very much like that the pacing tied into that this volume. Um, as far as the, yeah, I have to agree. I don't think that's the type of pacing we'll be getting for the next volume. I definitely think there's going to be some wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff happening. I don't know to what degree because I don't know where we're going. Um, but I don't think that the pacing for this volume is going to necessarily translate to whatever they have in store for the next one. Maybe later on when um, whatever weird side road trip we're about to go on um, reaches its culmination and we go back to the kingdoms, um, maybe we'll go back to this type of really breakneck pacing. Um, but I think in the meantime, we're just going to, we're going to go on a journey <laughs> and I think we're just going to have to see where that journey takes us. Um, as far as best, most interesting, entertaining character arcs, um, I feel like the arc with the most heart obviously is Penny's. Um, and I, I think it would be, I think it would be wrong to say anybody else, um, I did like Ruby's arc this volume, though, because, um, like, I think this volume tested her resolve more than any other arc, and it hit her at her lowest point, at least that we've seen thus far. And I, I think it was interesting getting to her to see her go on that journey because normally she's our endless source of optimism and hope and to see her kind of reach her breaking point I think was a fascinating journey to go on I'm actually gonna go with a kind of unpopular opinion though maybe uh because I do think that the most interesting character arc um at least for me was watching Ironwood's character arc mm -hmm. because Every step of his descent, I kept going, he could still turn around, right? <laughs> he could still turn around. It's just a little then, murder. It's still good. It's, it's still, still good. good. It's still good. It's just a side <laughs> character. It's fine. Probably. Council member whatever. Who can? Okay. Now. Okay. It's just a little genocide. Oh, it's gone, mm. isn't it? No. Mm. And, and that's the thing is like, 
um, with every, but like, I think that's really good writing that like we can see very early on this volume that he is going downhill and going downhill fast. But I kept going, like there was still a part of me that was like wanting him to turn it around and the, and the more I wanted him to turn around, the deeper he went. And I think that is a, I think character descents can be just as interesting as character growth. Um, and I think people kind of maybe sometimes mistake that as like, I, I we'll, we'll get into it at a later time, but like, I, I feel like watching his descent was extremely interesting because as Katie brought up earlier, um, as the volume went on, like it really did feel like a coin flip as to whether or not, um, he was going to see the error of his ways at some point and it would have felt fitting in either scenario. So when he made his choice to double down, it felt like it, it, like it felt like a payoff for the culmination of his entire arc. Um, yeah, it again, just because he didn't become a better person didn't mean doesn't mean that he didn't have a good arc, if that makes any sense. And I, I thought it was a very interesting one to watch. Again, maybe unpopular opinion here. And um, we want to we wanna thank Billy P, a.k.a. Master of Puns, for asking the following question. Penny, for your thoughts, do you think Volume 9 will be another travel volume, like 4 or 6, or will they just skip it? I feel like we all kind of just answered this um, uh, in the previous question, but thank you so, so much, Billy, for asking this question. Um, we really appreciate it. Thank you. And... I think that's actually going to do it for us uh, for tonight. We still have a ton of questions to get through, um, but we've been going for quite some time. And uh, so we think we're going to go ahead and answer the remainder of these questions in part two next week. <laughs> so until that time, Mark, where can people go if they want to keep up with you? You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch at Mark B. Donica. And you can also check out, now that we've debuted it, the Yayo Talk Show with myself, Caden Jensen, Molly Flood, and Al McClelland. Um, we, it, it just sort of, I've been talking about it the past couple of weeks, but our episode zero is out. It is a uh, romp, a jaunt, a quick trip uh, down sort of the uh avenues of our minds so you can get a little bit of our group dynamic as well as our one piece sensibilities um we also rewrote and reperformed the pirate rap which was the original what four kids one piece theme song oh god that was a f man we have so we have great stories to tell about the creative process of this and how this all sort of fell into place it's all al's fault and i say that with <laughs> all sincerity and respect for the man. Um, but go check us out. You can find the show on Twitter and on anchor at ya yo talk show. Y a Y O talk show. And we're, we're doing biweekly releases. We're trying to figure out stuff to do in the weeks in between episodes. And we have something, we have something for this next week, but make sure to go back, subscribe, follow us on Twitter for a whole bunch of random one piece madness. Stacy. I'm Stacey Shuttleworth. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Stacey Shuttles. Usually I'm just crying over the jewelry making process or various things that I'm watching, including Ruby, which is going to live on my mind for a very long time still. Uh, 
uh, still drowning in beads, finally actually have some. So I will be uh, showing off a lot more of the things I've been making. Uh, most current series has been a Hades-inspired line of jewelry. So if you're interested in beading or how you put various jewelry findings together, then uh, I'll detail some of that on my Twitter and Instagram. I'm just interested in wearing what you put together. Fair enough. I'm Katie. You can follow me all over the social medias as well as on YouTube and Twitch at Kiaxet. That is K-I-A-X-E-T. If you like reaction videos to Ruby, to other Rooster Teeth things, to also varied miscellaneous things, they live on that channel. I am also the host of an Overwatch and Overwatch League podcast called On The Point. We have been on hiatus because it's been the off-season, but we are coming back when the season starts in less than two weeks at this point, and oh boy, it's going to be wild, y'all. And I'm Megan Salinas. You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Menguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. I also do a Lost retrospective podcast called No Love Lost, where my co-host Will Link loves Lost, and I don't, and we talk about it. And I have a YouTube channel where Katie and I talk about horror things. It's called Silver Screams. Go check that out. Be sure, again, to follow the whole team at the rooster team uh <laughs> follow us on twitter all that jazz um be sure to join our discord which you can do in the description below you can support us on t public you can support us on anchor be sure to support our sponsor fred we love you guys and we have one more announcement before we go as always, we end with the important things. We are still in a pandemic, so wear a mask. Anytime you walk outside your door, doesn't matter for what purpose or for how long, wearing a mask protects you a little bit and protects other people a lot, and that is the point. Make sure you wear your mask. Make sure you get vaccinated when you are eligible to do so, and if you are medically able to do so, please do the thing. That's how we're going to get out of this. Uh, yes. Support your essential workers. They do not get the chance to stay at home to work, and they are dealing with a number of people who have not put basic human compassion as one of their priorities. So be kind, be supportive, be patient. That also goes for your postal workers. The post office is still suffering from shenanigans. So buy stamps, be kind, be patient. Black lives matter. Black LGBTQIA lives matter. Black trans lives matter. Black lives matter. AAPI lives matter. That has not changed. That is not going to change. When an election comes around, make sure you vote in it if you are eligible. Check your voter registration. Vote in your local elections because local elections are how change gets made at a larger level. You implement it locally and it goes up. Also, Contact your representatives. They are supposed to represent you, so make sure that they know what you want. If you like what they're doing, tell them. Be specific. If you don't like what they're doing, tell them. Be specific. And then also tell them what you would like them to do. You can email them. You can call them. You can text them. You can fax them if you still have a fax machine somewhere. All of that is equally valid. Contact your representatives. They are supposed to be representing you. Wear a mask. Get vaccinated take care of each other, take care of each other, take care of each other. That is the only way we are going to get through this. And remember that we love you. Thank you all so, so much again for listening. This has been Ruby Redux, and now it's time to say goodbye. Goodbye.